0: Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're back at the cinema again. And as Hi. previously mentioned, Cineworld is showing a lot of Christopher Nolan films Yes. to get the audiences back in and in anticipation of Tenet. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So this week we're seeing the other two Dark Knight films. Mm. We saw Batman Begins the other day. But today we saw Interstellar.
1: And importantly, we saw it back at Cineworld, which is our usual haunt, and which wasn't open on Friday. So Cineworld
0: Broad Street, that is. Yeah, Cineworld yeah.
1: Broad Street. So it's our first time back uh, at Cineworld Broad Street. Back at home. Uh, yes, and it was very nice to be back, actually.
0: It was, and back in the IMAX, IMAX Digital. Um, this is a film that was shot on IMAX. Liked... Yes, it was shot
1: on film, wasn't it? Cause I, I... Yeah, yeah, IMAX film, 70 yeah. mil film. Because I remember seeing it at Millennium Point.
0: We saw it together. Yeah. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't shown on IMAX there because that used to be an IMAX screen. And then I think they lost a license or didn't renew it, something okay, like that. So, they, so what it became was the big screen right. at Birmingham Think Tank. So we saw it on just 70 mil. Yes. Um, not in the full IMAX aspect ratio. I remember it very vividly because I really loved this film the first time round. Yes. In 2014. Yes. And it made me cry at the end. I loved how earnest it was, and I wrote, uh, I wrote a review of it on my blog, and I was very glowing about it and all that sort of thing.
1: I was a bit you cold s- about it, wasn't I? Yeah, it? you
0: said you didn't like it. Yeah. So what, um, well, has that changed for you, watching it today? No.
1: Um, I mean, I, I'm not even sure if I admire it, really. Mm. Uh, you know, I thought there's something kind of distancing about the film. Mm-hmm. I think it's also kind of pretentious. Right? Um.
0: It makes lofty comparisons with 2001 Space Odyssey. Quite deliberate comparisons. And 2001 is held up as a great masterpiece of the cinema and a real innovator and it changed people's lives. And it's no accident that, that there's, there's the organ sound that keeps coming back here. Mm. There's a shot of Cooper late on in the film where he's been kind of reborn mm. after the black hole, where which evokes the space baby. Um I don't think it's an accident that, that these things are in there. And, I mean, what's the point of it? You know, is it saying... Well, I suppose it's trying to say that some of the themes are the same and it's recognising an influence of 2001. But um, it does come across to me as sort of like, like claiming a throne, almost.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, there were, there were some uh, so you know, from minor things to major things, mm. that bothered me, yeah? So you kind of applaud the film's ambition in a way but actually I just don't think it's very well realized and Mm. you know I thought um, so some of the some of the things that I didn't like for example I thought Anne Hathaway had some terrible moments Mm. yeah Um, she really wasn't very good I thought in terms of character development I didn't understand the brother at all right like you know so you have him as as Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet and he's like you know lovely and you know charming and you know and so on. And then when he becomes... Casey um, Affleck. Casey Affleck. You know, there's all this anger and, you know, I don't understand why he wants to keep his family to die in the farm. I mean, you're told his grandfather's nearby, but so what? Like, mm. you know.
0: Yeah, he kind of gives I... up on his dad, which you see... Well, so let's say what the plot is, just briefly, uh, before we get into it. Because there might be people who have not seen this film. Um, yes, <laughs> so Interstellar is about a dying planet Earth. Crops are failing. It's set in the sort of 21st century uh, dystopian future, essentially. But um, it's like a, there's like a new dust bowl. Yeah. I mean, literally, that there are dust storms that coat everything in dust, and the planet is dying. And Matthew McConaughey is a former um, aircraft pilot, like like fighter pilot or or test pilot kind of thing, yeah. who has now become a farmer. He's had to. Yes. But he's still interested in that life. He chases down a spy drone right at the start. And then a quote-unquote ghost appears in his daughter's room, which seems to be communicating via Morse code. And the Morse code communicates coordinates. They follow the coordinates, and they find the last remnants of NASA, Mm. uh, run by Michael Caine, Mm. uh, whose daughter is Anne Hathaway. And they have this plan... To get us off Earth to find other planets, and what they're interested in is a wormhole near Saturn that can take you to another galaxy. And through this galaxy, they've already sent several
1: pilots yeah, looking. Twelve or thirteen or something. Yeah,
0: twelve. Um, I think so. Numerous disciples, I think.
1: Um, okay, so like you it would be twelve, wouldn't it? I think
0: it was. Yeah, um, and looking for looking for a habitable place mm. to live, and Cooper, which is a, a Matthew McConaughey, becomes one of these. And what follows is a long mission that involves playing with time, relativity. Um, It's a very scientifically literate film. But at the core of it is this little girl who thinks... Well, she loves her dad, and she grows to think her dad's abandoned her. Yes. Um, And there's there's this love at a distance thing going on.
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, I know what you mean. Um,
0: I liked it less this time. Than yeah, the first
1: I time. mean, I, I, I just don't think so. I don't know about the science, right? Mm. Uh, so you're saying it's very literate scientifically. I'm sure that's true, but actually, I don't know about it because I am not very scientifically literate, and I must also say that I didn't feel I learned very much mm. from the film scientific literacy. I, you know, it might be very scientifically literate, but it didn't communicate those things very well. And certainly it didn't make them dramatic or exciting. It didn't use them as part of the information that you, you know.
0: That's not quite true. It it does make it dramatic. I mean, you may not have felt it did, but um, but like, for instance, there's this thing about when you're in the presence of a very strong gravitational field, gravitational object, Mm -hmm. like the black hole at the Mm centre of this um, galaxy, um, time slows down for you. And so when they go down to the water planet, they say we can only spend so long here because
1: an hour down here
0: okay, is seven that, years, that and, that, and that's made dramatic because time is a resource. And they spend too long there. They come back and they spend okay, twenty three well,
1: years. Excuse moi, you know that's, no, the, that's the kind of science you see in every like comic book. I mean, th- those. Not are- exactly, but the point is, it's based on
0: it's building drama and tension out of genuine scientific principles
1: well but what I'm telling you is that they might be very genuine scientific principles yeah. you know but I didn't build tension or drama for me you didn't feel that
0: when they come back having spent 23 years that oh my god things are, or, or, or actually not that when they get stuck there because brand spends too long trying to get the data thing yes. and they get stuck in the wave you didn't feel like oh fuck they fucked it up
1: Mm. You know, what I felt is, you know, they better move soon because the wave <laughs> is coming. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, that aspect kind of was much more. So um, the
0: physical danger of the wave is what generates attention for you yes. rather than the, the mission uh, jeopardy of losing time.
1: Yes. Right. You know, well, there were several things there. There was the wave and then there was the fact that they lost a colleague, yeah. which I think was not given the emotional resonance, you know, that it should have uh, been given. Right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, same, so, with, same with the other colleague that they lose later on. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so I thought there were kind of, you know, there were moments of cheap sentimentality um, that got in the way of, you know, a, a kind of um, a more complex and human understanding of people. Mm. Right. And and I I thought it was kind of lacrimose in, in some ways. Really. I mean. I thought Ellen Burstyn's death scene at the end, you know, surrounded by family. Hmm. The film is very sentimental about family. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. it's, oh, it, you know, it's overly sentimental. I was watching a Youssef Shaheen film, you know, uh, which is based on the biblical story of Joseph, which intersects with the Quran. And, um, you know, kind of Joseph gets distracted a little bit. The wolves come after his sheep. His brothers get, you know, so pissed off at him that they whip him against his father's wishes, you know. Um, then the father to protect the son sends him off to Egypt. You know, the brothers, you know, instead of giving them their share of the money, kind of they suck him into slavery, right? So families come in many forms and varieties, <laughs> and some of them are very loving and close, and some of them are not, mm. you know, and some of them kill their children, right? You know, and kind of... And some of them start off as loving and close and end up, you know, not so... So you know, yeah, this idea that you know that is like the, that, is the, that is the love in the film, yeah. actually, you know, because every other type of love that you see is kind of betrayed, isn't it?
0: Uh, yes, well there's there's Brand's love for her ex or former boyfriend or whatever um, who who has gone onto one of the planets, yeah. and she argues to go to that planet and she argues in one of the very earnest scenes of the film and not one of its best that love like gravity can transcend dimensions and the love that she feels for this guy is pulling her towards the planet and maybe that means maybe we should take that as seriously scientifically as gravity and it's nuts yes. and it's hard to watch it with a straight face yes um, man, you, but as yeah. you but as you point out it's betrayed yes. she, uh, mcconaughey d- chooses to go to the other planet yeah. because he thinks actually that love is dangerous, that her love for this guy is endangering them by pulling him there. Yes. And she's pulling there for the wrong reasons.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Um, though, mind you, I, I thought that the guy that she was in love with was the Matt Damon character. But...
0: Uh, right. Well, that's, that's just wrong. Yes. Okay. I,
1: mean... <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were very cool with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but of
0: course, it turns out that the planet that her ex is on is the right planet to go to, which you see yeah. right at the very end. She's set up a camera. She doesn't need a helmet to breathe. It's the right place to go. Yeah. She was right. So, so kind of, the, the love is betrayed by McConaughey in choosing not to go then choosing not to trust it. But it's the right thing o- overall. Like, the film has this belief in love, ultimately. Things do pay off through love.
1: It does. And I kind of, I mean, you know, that's one of the things that I liked about the film, except, you know, you can convey that, and convey it as much more complex. You know, it's a very simple-minded idea of yes, love. it is. Right? I mean, kind of love is also overcoming, and, you know, and accepting betrayal, or, yeah, you know, kind of, it could be many things. It's not just, you know, kind of, uh, because of some blood links you, you're then linked forever, and have these, you know, mm-hmm. strong feelings, which, you know, is really m- much what the film seems to be saying and evoking. Um, so, so those things didn't sit um, very well. I thought, I remember the film looking better than I. I thought sort it of know what you mean. This, time. I I found a lot of the special effects, which some of them look like 1960s psychedelic stuff. Yeah, I, I think, th- again,
0: quite deliberately. I mean, that's. Okay. Again, I think that's evoking 2001.
1: Yes. Well, they already look dated, you know. Do you reckon? I do, yeah. Um, they, I really like it. I thought. What it was. Do you th-
0: are you thinking specifically of when they go through the wormhole and it gets all sort of stretched? Which is no. di- Which is directly, I think.
1: Again. I was thinking of those reflections on Matthew McConaughey's face oh, okay. that look like tie dyed greys and stuff. Oh. You know, I thought, oh, this is cheap. <laughs> and unimaginative <laughs> yeah. but, but actually I thought many things like that you know I thought you know the um, the farm um, you know it just it just wasn't filmed interestingly enough mm-hmm. you know there were all those shots where the car is moving you know away from the farm you know and the truck is taking up like three quarters of the space in the frame you know and you're thinking why Right, like so, you know, on the one hand, I suppose you get the sense of movement, you know, to me, it just kind of didn't look right. And actually, even all of those space shots, yeah, I never thought for a moment, oh wow, you know, yes, I know what you mean.
0: I think the first time round, I did, um, when you see the shots of Gargantua in particular, the black hole with the, the, the ring of light and it's mm. stretching above, above I mean that's that was incredible the first time around. And this time it didn't inspire that same sense of wonder. But I think a lot of it is that this is a thing I hadn't seen. Yeah, and actually I was thinking a lot of the reason that I loved it so much the first time was because I didn't know what was coming next. And it was showing me things that I hadn't seen. The giant wave that approaches you like there's there is one shot in particular and it's and it's a well Framed and well composed, shot the camera move up the wave, yes. and it's this impossible scale of the thing. Yes. Um,
1: no, that's true. I like that.
0: Um, uh. So there are there are moments, but a lot of it is that I hadn't seen it, and watching it back, I didn't have that same sense of surprise and wonder. Um, so less of it, I think, was effective on me. Mm.
1: Um, One of the things that really graded with me, and that. I don't remember, um, though, you know, possibly, um, was the use of the Dylan... Is it Dylan Thomas? Dylan
0: Thomas. Do yeah. not
1: go gentle into that good night. Yes, rage, rage against the dying of the light. I mm. thought, all right, you know, kind of, so he's read Dylan Thomas. But this gets repeated like six times or something. It's ridiculous. Do it a few times. But I do think... I mean, I noticed that... The
0: fir- I remember that from the first time I watched it, and this time I noticed... Um, there's one. He obviously says it all the time, like way more than he does in the film, because there's one time when he's uh, when Brand, the, the Anne Hathaway character, is watching a video message from him, and he finishes it off by repeat, by, mm. by reciting the poem, and she does this look with her eyes to the side, which is it half reads as "Oh God, this again," yes, <laughs> and then um, the M- Matt Damon character um, mocks it. I think doesn't he later
1: on? Well he says it I'm not, I don't remember quite if he mocks it okay. but then it also appears in the billboard of the new yes yeah the new I mean, space think, station oh, come on really you know mm. uh, it, it kind of cheapens I mean I love that Dylan uh, Thomas poem very much and you know I remember I remember when I first read it it did have that effect of me you know mm. um, but here it becomes like a cheap trope actually I think you know? Yeah, it kind of
0: forces it upon you.
1: Yeah, brother. over and over and over and over again. Uh, in a way that also kills the poetry, you know. Mm. Uh, it's not as if it's illuminating the poetry or bringing it in a new light or something. It's just used as a cheap device. I didn't like that. Um, I
0: think that can be said of so much of the film that I think the music as well. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not even referring to the, to the organ that I've, that I've mentioned, but just the... Well, you talked about the film... Um, having a, a cheap sentimentality, mm. and I think the music is absolutely part of that. It's it's uh, m- as manipulative as anything you might get here, and it's so loud mm. that you know. I mean, there are times in the film where I love the volume, like the volume of um, the kind of rumbling when uh, uh, McConaughey goes into the black hole. I think it's fantastic, and I love the fact that they don't really skimp, you know, like this is a big moment, but with the music. It is screaming feelings at you that the film actually isn't really earning with the visuals mm. and with the story. Mm. Um, when he's in the in the in the tesseract bookcase situation yeah. and he's realizing that it's him and he has to send these messages, take away the music and it's not that powerful. It's actually kind of dumb. Dan Harmon, who who wrote Community or, and writes um, Rick and Morty, had this thing on his podcast taking the piss out of it, saying like, it's like you have this thing of uh, a guy runs past you when you're a kid going. Uh, and then you go what was that? And then 35 years later you realize oh, blah, blah, oh my god it's me. Oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like that's kind of what the film is. <laughs> you know, that's what the twist is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I kind of I mean I did like the way that that dimension of time I suppose you know was visualized because mm. you know how do you how, how do you visualize something like that? So I kind of like I kind of like that actually. But what I didn't like was my what I, well maybe i didn't get something or maybe i missed something but i thought the film cheated yeah in the sense that from that moment that he's going into like the black hole or mm. yeah um and the whole ship is disintegrating and then the computers go down and his max this, his mask disintegrates or something and then you see him he just somehow lands in his daughter's mm. room i mean you know how do you go from one place to the other right like the but- When I say the film is scientifically illiterate,
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is this is somewhere where you can't defend that because because once you go into, no one knows what what happens inside a black hole. We have our ideas, but you can't because nothing comes out. You can't tell. Um, So, as far as the film's concerned, once you go inside a black hole, you can do anything you like, as indeed they do. They did, and, and so you can say, "Oh, this this they they keep referring to is actually us." from a future evolution where we've evolved into the fifth dimension and we can do this. And you go, fine, yeah, I just yeah, I just yeah, go yeah. with it. Like, it's fine, whatever. Well, it, I mean, it is... But the, no, I'm agreeing with you. It's cheap and it's made yeah. up on the spot. And
1: you, you go know, fine, I guess. It's it's what, in normal literature, you'd call a doisex machina or something. Right? Ex machina. You know, because, yeah. like, you just bring anything you want and tie it all up together. But, yeah. kind of, you know, you want something more than that, right? And especially, like, a film that's been as highly praised as... As This one, you know, to me, that's a very cheap kind of device and I just didn't... Yeah, I, I entirely agree. Um, I was a lot less impressed.
0: I mean, I, I, the first time I saw it, I was I was swept up in the emotion. I remember very vividly yes. going with it and going, oh, God, this is great, this is great. And the second time you see it, or even just thinking about it on reflection in the time since, you go, no, that's not that good. It's actually not very... It's not a very intelligent or creative story. It's not very good storytelling and it's great that it swept me up the first time but it doesn't last no today's experience shows that to me it didn't feel the same it didn't feel as good
1: i mean there are many things that just really didn't make sense to me emotionally right Mm. so for example why is the daughter so angry right like you know she must have dozens of friends whose parents are divorced or whose parents have left or you know i mean yeah so her father going on this heroic mission you know, which might take him years to come back. I mean, I'm sure it's a disappointment. And, <laughs> you know, she'd miss her dad. But that, yeah, it seemed yeah. like such an over-response, you know, to something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's all defined, it's all shown to you as anger towards the father rather than sadness. Or, mm. you know, like kind of, the, yeah, there are many complicated responses to something like that. So I thought that was kind of, you know, again, overblown and, and not... Sh- you know, not demonstrating a good understanding, right? Mm. Um, and also this idea that somehow that anger lasts like twenty-seven years or something. Mm. I mean, re- her anger is given new context
0: when she thinks or realizes that um that Michael Caine's character has lied to her. That the, that the plan was never to bring them back. That this a sort of submission So the anger is given a new context there that makes sense, uh, and it's kind of redirected. But I, but I agree. I agree to some degree with you know, when she's a little girl and he leaves. Yes. Um, she holds on to this resentment for a very long time and you 27 don't... 27 years. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, um... come on. <laughs> yeah. And w- whereas I think with The Sun, it's much more legible, actually. You see it in those videos that, that McConaughey watches when he gets back on the ship yes. and this is 23 years of, of, of messages backed up. And you see it in um, Timothy Chalamet moving into um, Casey Affleck's performances and lines where it's you know i love you dad and well, i don't think he says i love you dad but he's showing off like my results at school i've got this girlfriend mm. and then it becomes i don't know why i'm sending these videos to you it's obviously never coming back yes. it makes a lot of you know it, and it's done in you know 30 seconds a minute it, yeah, it yeah. makes sense there
1: that, that aspect does yeah um him wanting to keep his family where he knows they're going to die that didn't make any sense to me at all yeah um so, I, I think... You could read something into it. You could read in, like, that's the only
0: thing he has left, that that's where he doesn't... That's, where, that's the only place that he doesn't feel abandoned, that sort of thing. But you're reading into it to get that.
1: Yes. Um, um, I only, you know, kind of... Uh, didn't, I, I mean, you did... I wasn't given enough information to make Yeah. readings, really, because you think, after all, you know, he. you imagine he loves his wife, he must love his child. Why doesn't he... Try something. I mean, why stay where he knows it'll be death for sure? The doctor's telling them they must leave now. Yeah. I just didn't. Uh, you know, to me that was an inhuman response that I don't understand.
0: Mind you, I mean, if you look at the way people are behaving in, in times of coronavirus, there are people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's this thing. You know, you know, people say, and you said plenty of times that Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, has a bad understanding of uh-huh. of human sort of psychology and or, or human behavior and humanity. Um, but you look at Jaws and you look at the people returning to the beach knowing that a shark is out there and will kill them. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's basically how people are responding to COVID-19.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> so know, maybe he understands people <laughs> very, very well. I don't think so. You know? And maybe Nicholas uh, Nolan does too. I, I was interested, you know, because to me, all of those things... So, for example, I love almost everyone in this cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a
0: very impressive cast.
1: Yeah. I, I love Matt Damon... Uh, And actually, I I normally love Anne Hathaway, you know, and Matthew McConaughey and so on. Uh, And actually, I think most of them are really actors that really do draw you in. They're warm actors, yeah? You know, so the other day we were talking about Michael Caine, and I always find there's something kind of Mm. cool, you know, proficient but cool about him. Right? Whereas, you know, kind of Anne Hathaway and Matt Damon, it's like you're inside their heads, really, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, kind of, uh, they're very warm actors. So I'm thinking of Anne Hathaway. You don't want to be in her head. Well, you know.
0: Seems like a very, Uh, it's a very earnest place to be. Yes. She's trying her best always. It's a very
1: earnest, very actressy place to be. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 uh,
0: uh,
1: So, um, but actually I think they're not, and and Jessica Chastain, I love her uh you know and i mean i was thinking how gobsmackingly beautiful she is actually uh you know and she's such a great actress so but aside from her actually because i do think that she brings something Mm. you know very human and energetic and legible and you know but everybody else it's almost like the film makers haven't given them enough to convey the, the natural warmth that the actors have to the audience, right? You know, so I thought Matt Damon was entertaining, yeah, mm. and he's, you know, kind of a caricature of, I don't know, a Trumpian media <laughs> figure or something. Yes. Well, maybe. Well, you know, kind of masquerading heroism as, you yeah. know, the, the shallowest cowardice and self-interest, uh, and, 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 you know, lying to himself constantly about it, really. So, you know, that was kind of like a fun performance. Um, But it also feels like kind of mechanical and unshaped and not, Mm. yeah, not fully real. And and it makes it kind of, you know, like a a caricature, a sketch. There's nothing, Mm. you know, I mean, one of the things that I suppose is, is a question because, you know, and you think sometimes maybe these are just my limitations. But, you know, this is a film that, you know, people loved and they went to great lengths and they had so many interpretations and, you know, it led to people thinking, yeah, which I, I always think it was a very good thing, right? But I don't understand why. Did it? Well, I think... I'm assuming here, but yes, I mean... <laughs> You know, like people like you, when you first saw it, you went and, wrote, you know, wrote your blog and, yeah, you know, it's I not mean, every film you feel like doing that about. That's
0: true. Um, I wrote the blog more back then because we hadn't done the podcast. But, um, I mean, I, I, I haven't read the blog back. I don't remember an awful lot of what I wrote, but I know that I I know that I responded to the scale and the scope and the fact that, like I say, it seems to be presenting things that I hadn't seen, that, you know, what excited me so much was not knowing where the story would go. Which you could say maybe I should predict where the story would go, but I just I was so in it. Yes. Um and not having that to to respond to today, knowing, you know, like vaguely where scenes would go or remembering individual parts. Um it sounds like it sounds arrogant to say, but it's like I saw through that. No. You know? Um and I kind of I was kind of left going, wow this isn't this isn't really this isn't as good as I remembered. Um I can I can still see what I responded to, and I still teared up at a couple of points.
1: Yes, I kind of I um, did as well. You know, though, though, I mean, you know that it's almost my definition of a cheap filmmaker, right? Mm. You know, I always tell the story. You know, you want to make an audience cry. Show a child. Show a bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running towards it. It's very easy to make an it audience is, cry but, in a cheap way.
0: But I don't think it did. You know, I, I mean. And maybe there are points where where cheaper audiences would have cried more than I did. So maybe there are those moments. But I, but the, I felt like the moments I responded to weren't that. The moments I responded to were when um, when Matthew McConaughey sees the twenty three years worth of footage of his son and daughter. Yes. Um, and when he reconnects with his daughter right at the very end when she's very very old. Yes. You know, the, those maybe they were manipulative. Um, I thought the one with the
1: daughter—that was one of my least favorite scenes in the whole film. So I think that is cheap. But it did feel
0: honest. They felt honestly earned to me. Like I felt that you know I was giving it. uh, I I wasn't. I felt like I wasn't having uh, tears stolen from me.
1: Well, I mean, maybe (laughs) I'm reading it from a particular point of view. But I really hated that. Yeah, I did. You know, I thought uh, it was manipulative. It was. It was filmed in a very manipulative way. So. You know at the moment of her death, her family closes in like yeah, around her, and all you see is like her surrounded by love, you know um so it's not exactly the moment of her
0: death, but they're just talking about her dying soon,
1: well, the way that it's shown, yeah, it's it has like, a feeling of uh yeah <laughs> and then so 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 there's a way of reading that, and you think. You know, the film is kind of really... So, on the one hand, it's trying to make the Jessica Chastain character the heroine of the film. Mm-hmm. She's the one that resolves all the problems. So, which, which I think is also dishonest, because, really, it's Matthew McConaughey's film, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's kind of this gesture towards yeah, feminism by saying it's really <laughs> Jessica Chastain who deserves all the credit. Um... But then the film weighs everything, and really the success of her life and uh, the Matthew McConaughey's character's pride in her is all these ancestors that she's now, yes, yeah, her children and grandchildren. Mm. You know, it's not that, you know, she is, you know, the most essential scientist in the whole history of mankind. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, there's an element of that. That you know, the, the thing about Cooper Station is named after, her, and the Doctor, who is there when uh, Cooper wakes up, says, "You know, well, well we weren't going to bring her here because she's too frail, that's but what she I mean. is Murph. She is Murph Cooper."
1: That's what I mean about the film having it both ways. Because, yeah. you know, uh, it tells you that, but actually, what it shows you yeah. and what it dramatizes is this enveloped in tons of children and grandchildren. Yeah, you know, I don't have a yeah, particular problem with that. You know, I mean, I like family, so it's not. But it just—I mean, know.
0: even the house that they've that they've, I guess, moved to the station or rebuilt, and it's there, and it's a
1: museum—is
0: mm. it's Cooper's house rather than Murph's, really? Uh, that seems to be the, the the kind of implication, I guess, or at least that's how it's presented when we see it. Is this is the this is the place where the great hero? cooper came from yes and less so murph it seems feels like yes um although we only see it briefly but
1: anyway you know i don't want to make too much of it because you know i am also sensitive to moments like that and they did act on me but i just also feel that it's cheap you know that kind of a more imaginative director would have done it in a different way you know um so um, And I also didn't like the way that it was filmed. I thought Ellen Burstyn was amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like you really see um, kind of, you know, her emotions conveyed very clearly and kind of quiveringly. and. Well, that's complex. all I love. You know,
0: that and Matthew McConaughey, and he's crying like he does in the other bit that I cried at, and, and he's, his, his emotions are completely on display, and he kisses her hand, and he's right there, and he's like, I don't know how to handle this. Yes. And, you know, I... Yes. He's very good at being overcome.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Which speaks to me. I mean, it's that thing that I
0: think we've talked about before. Michael Caine says, um, you know, women will cry and men will do anything but cry. Mm. And and they hold the tears back. But that makes it so powerful when they do.
1: Yes. They? Um, yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I you're not, was, you're not really going with me on that, but <laughs> uh, well, because I, um, I think he overdid it. I think he and the director both overdid it. I mean, okay. Matthew McConaughey cries and cries and cries and cries <laughs> in the film, so he's he's actually proving the opposite of what you're saying because you know there's no holding it in (laughs) right it's all like floods you know know. 55 different types of tears (laughs)
0: but but he cries with happy i mean that in that shot of him watching the video of his son and you don't see his son at first you see him watching it and it's quite an extended take and it's and he starts off you know just seeing it smiling and then he starts crying with happiness and then it turns into sadness and the way he moves through the emotions is wonderful. Yes. Um, I really love that shot. That mm. really got me the first time. It got me just as much this time. Yes. I mean... But I know what you mean. It's not a film of subtlety in any way. Mm. Um, And maybe it can be... I mean, maybe it's true of Christopher Nolan that he's not really a director of subtlety but he's been more subtle than this. Um, This is a film that tells you in plain English love is special and love is transcendent and look i mean this is when, when i was talking about i really respect its scientific literacy and there is a lot of it this thing you know like like when you're out in space you never hear any diegetic sound because there is no sound in space and it's actually quite effective and it makes sense um you know the way that the way that kind of visuals look in space the black hole makes sense the whole thing about time being affected by gravity makes sense and it's all there and it's used effectively but there are real negatives to the scientific literacy, which is one of which is, some things are very silly, like when Anne Hathaway's talking about love, and she's saying this thing, love is you can transcend dimensions, and it's a physical force, and you're going, oh man, I, 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 get the, I get the earnestness, I get how much you want me to feel this, but I just don't, it's so silly. And then there are other times, when it kills dramatic moments, so when um, they're on man's planet, Matt, Matt Damon's, and his sort of betrayal is being revealed or his lie and, and Professor Brand's lie is being revealed by the video on TARS mm. um, there's this thing about that for ages and ages Professor Brand wanted, was trying to figure out this gravity equation so they could save the planet and it's revealed that he already had this and it didn't work and it was just a lie to send people into space um, the plan B thing that's, that was the only plan and, and it's a really dramatic twist but it's spoiled by uh Matt Damon's character man saying the equation didn't work because he couldn't reconcile quantum mechanics with relativity something like that and you go oh it, like they're so they're so dedicated to bringing in the science in every aspect that that line just kills the
1: moment of stone dead you know like it, well i thought it was even worse than that because you know, so all of the characters condemn the Michael Cain characters, the most atrocious lie that anybody in the history of humankind has told. <laughs> I thought, I don't get it. I mean, I would lie like that. I mean, you know, it seemed quite logical to me why he would lie, right? And actually the film explains it to you because he's found no other solution, right? And this is a way to kind of enable people to act honestly in the continuation of the species rather than the individual, right? Because if you told the truth, then self-interest would come and only the richest and most powerful. That makes complete sense to me. Mm. I don't think that makes, uh, you know, the Michael Caine character a bad person for having, you know, used that strategy.
0: Yeah.
1: And, on the other hand, what Matt Damon does is shallow, selfish, self-interested, cowardly, Right. And yet you're making an equivalence between those two things. And they're not... Yeah, it's almost like the film can't tell the difference between one and the other.
0: Yeah, well, it's all rendered through the family. like That, that lie that Professor Brand tells to, to, to get this mission going um, is... It's all rendered through the family. So it, it's, it's not that he lied and that's bad for humanity or whatever. Um, but it's, it's that that lie is going to keep Cooper from his daughter forever they thought they could get back that was the point and they can't and that's that's the reason that you're supposed to hate the lie yeah but the film
1: is the film can't distinguish between its own thinking Mm. or the point it might want to try to make and you know uh uh, Matthew McConaughey's feelings for his daughter Mm. because you know you could feel that way Emotionally, and nonetheless, recognize that rationally it makes sense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do it that way, right? So, again, it's a very self interested, selfish, self involved way of looking at the situation that you're somehow meant to identify with. Yeah. Right. So, I think those things are very muddied in the film. I'm actually more than muddied. They're wrong headed. Yeah. Mm. They're not thought through, I don't think.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to think about the action a bit because it really struck me that so much of the action really didn't work for me. Um, and it's a film where the the action is of a very high concept. There's a concept to everything. So when they're on the, the high-gravity planet, the action is based on the giant wave and it's based on the tension of the time as a resource. Um, Mad Damon tries to dock his ship and he screws it up and he explodes the ship and it starts spinning. So they have to spin... At the same rate, so they can dock, and that's a very uh, 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 arduous task. Um, There's, I suppose, going through the wormhole, which is not kind of arduous in itself, but you just don't know what 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 you're going to expect. And almost none of it really worked. Like I could see how it was, I could see how the ideas were operating and what the idea was, but I wasn't feeling any of it enough. There was something missing in every action scene. I thought the same
1: thing. And uh, about the same scenes, actually. And what was going on in my head uh, was, or what I was thinking when watching it, is, you know, you watch an old Errol Flynn film about aviators, and it's exciting,
0: Mm. right?
1: And yet, I don't know any more about aviation than I do (laughs) about spacecraft, right? (laughs) So why is the Errol Flynn stuff exciting? And actually, it's because I think the film tells you you know what errol flynn needs to do how difficult it is yeah and what he's got to do to achieve it or die right whereas actually this film doesn't right Mm. you know so so you know like uh you know particularly at the beginning it's like don't open this don't do that kind of you know you see that the thing is not attached properly but you don't know how much time he's got yeah you don't know whether there's a possibility of him doing it properly or not doing it yeah like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Really. Like it makes
0: some things very clear. You know, it makes clear what they have to do to dock, but the stakes in that particular scene aren't really very clear. Like if we don't manage to do this what happens? Well, yes. they don't even think about that. It's just this is obviously going to happen because yeah. the film has to go on. Like that's 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 sort of the feeling on the on the high gravity planet, I think actually more of that is taken care of. You know, you understand the stakes, this thing about we're going to lose so much time. Um, once the you know it, it, once it's clear what the planet looks like and that there are these giant waves, that's very, very clear. Um, but there is, still, there is still something, I don't know, almost too quick about it. Um, there's certainly something quick about the way they leave that planet. Like, the, the second wave comes along yeah. and they've had this long chat in the middle um, and then it's just, oh, shit, the wave's here, got to go. And they just do. Like, I would just like to spend a little bit more time getting off the planet and have a bit more tension as, are they going to? You know, it just you, happens.
1: You look at the early Star Wars films, right? And cheesy as they are and so on and you know nonetheless those things are exciting in those films yeah. yeah? and you feel really well situated and yeah and yeah. kind of you know what their powers are what can be done yeah kind of uh, you know if someone's hanging from a ledge you see the steps to get out you see that yeah. they might not be able to make it yeah like kind of all that information is conveyed to you I feel here it isn't you know so you have things moving around quickly It's yeah. funny
0: there's an love of that what I just was complaining about leaving the 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 high gravity planet. There's an analogue of that in one of the Star Wars films. Um, is it episode five where Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and Leia and that are they go into a cave to get away from some TIE fighters that are following them. And they stay in there for a while and then they realise that the ground's moving and they realise it's a giant slug that they're in the middle of and well they don't even well they don't even realise that. They just realise something's not right here. Yeah. And so they they escape as quickly as possible and you see from their perspective the these jaws closing and they just get out and then it's when they're out you see this uh long shot of the planet and then flying off in this bloody great big slug no nice. <laughs> okay yes, out. so like that, so and that's something where you're not given all the information they're only really just they're, all they've worked out is we need to get out of here and mm-hmm. it's only after they've they're safe that you see what the danger was ah. but that is more that had more tension than leaving this high gravity planet where you know what the danger is. Yeah. It should be easy to, to generate a bit more, but they just they don't spend long enough doing that. No. Yes. Um,
1: um
0: there's also a sequence that's intercut, two action scenes intercut, which is when they're on man's planet and he's leading McConaughey out yeah. to attack him and kill him. So so he hopes. And that's intercut back on Earth with um Murph driving out Driving out to the house to try and get the family to leave, and then she leaves, and then she comes back and she sets the crops on fire. Mm. Um, which you know it's not it's not explained in dialogue, but I think it's quite obvious that like she's doing this to to make right. sure they leave because they've got nothing left if yeah. if they've got no crops. But the, the I mean I didn't I didn't like it. or I don't get it because the 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 the, the enormity or the significance of these two actions is very very different. Like on the one hand, you got this guy being led out to his death. And he ends up having a physical battle for his life on this planet, and on the other hand, it's not even entirely clear really what her motivation is at that at certain times to do what she's doing. It's, it doesn't have, like there isn't there isn't an equal weight between these two things. No, why they're cut doesn't
1: make sense. It's my pet peeve about the brutishness of contemporary American culture. Right, you know where everything gets destroyed and nothing seems valued and. You know, I thought in a, in a planet in which food is so scarce that you only have one crop left. Hmm. Yeah. And in which there must be people starving. And actually you see them eat and they're eating corn on the cob and, you know, yeah, c- yeah. corn uh, pudding or whatever. Corn to, destroy, to, the- to destroy the last crop that they're probably ever going to get from this land just shows <laughs> such a lack of empathy and understanding. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a world that's kind of, you know, going in starvation mode and you, you kill the crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't arrange for the neighbour to collect it or for it, you know, to be given to the homeless or, mm-hmm. you know, or actually to, to to harvest it and carry it all away. Like, Well, again, it's all rendered have- through the family. Like,
0: what's important is the family and she's saving her brother's family by making them move and it doesn't have a wider view. No. Even though even though it kind of yeah, you know, it wants to, it wants to like the film opens on all these videos of people remembering the dust bowl. Yes. You know, the dust bowl as it is in this film, not the real dust bowl in the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, oh, we had no food back then, we were running out of crops and such and such. And it's like so the film opens on this idea that this is a worldwide thing that everyone was suffering it. There's this social kind of decay mm-hmm. not decay but social um, uh, kind of panic to it. Um and then there's no more of that basically every, every, all, the rest of the time we talk about humanity we talk about saving the planet, but you know and Cooper talked about saving millions of families, not just his own, but the film doesn't feel any of that The no. film is all about this family and yes. these two people particularly, in particular, in particular yes. the dad and daughter and um, that's how it makes sense of everything yeah i well, didn't I didn't like how um, she realizes um or works out that the dad is the ghost at the end she actually has no reason to do that he really snuck by me the first time but i watch it this time and i think all she's done is assume like that they quote unquote they the they they keep referring to are the dad now but actually she's got no real reason to no. and it happens in the middle of the or the start of the tesseract scene so it's all supposed to be coming together and that he realizes he's the one sending his messages she realizes it at the same time and he starts sending the messages and yeah. it all comes together and makes sense. But, um... And you, it, under,
1: you understand why he realises, because yeah. he's seeing her. He, she doesn't but, have a good But reason. actually, she, you don't... Yeah, it's true, actually. You don't... You know, she could I mean, it would have made just as much sense for her to say, oh, it's like the goddess of Venus or something. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Sending me secret messages. I mean, there's no inherent reason why she thinks it's the father. Right?
0: Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Like, the thing that said stay, the message that says stay... And it's like, oh, yes, that, that was that was the dad telling himself to stay, but she doesn't have a good
1: reason to say that. Yes, and also, actually, the film is illogical in that, because if, if he, he wouldn't stay, they'd all be dead. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, even that doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense, really. Yeah, it's
0: like his emotion in the moment is, no, you should never have left your daughter, but, it, mm. yeah, but, he, but he needed But, you to. know,
1: he's meant to be in this time... Space continuum where past, present, and future are one, and he can go into every room, mm. so he should know enough that really, yeah, yeah. it was good for him to go yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is quite
0: elegant though the um I think mean, you you mentioned you like the design of that space, and I agree yeah. with you I th- and there's something there's something that feels quite poetic about being behind the bookcase yes it's like communicating through knowledge yeah you know which is. Yes, B- I like that kind of aspect kind of... of it,
1: though I also did think, you know, when they go into the New World or something, you know, in science fiction in the 70s, we have this thing of like the value of knowledge or rediscovering books, or sometimes we would have like, you know, Kal-El, right, Superman's father, sends him the whole repository of the knowledge of his culture, right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Yeah, those things are important. Some didn't do enough with that, like mm. you know, kind of in the new world. You you'd think that you'd be shown the library of the new world or something, right? So this is this will be my last one, really, because I feel I'm beating a dead horse. Um, but the other thing that I found really disappointing was the la- the battle sequence between Matt Damon and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, you know, because you feel d- they've designed it interestingly. Yeah, that bleak rock landscape. Mm but they don't do enough with it visually. yeah. I mean, I would have liked the camera to move more <laughs> yeah? or to indicate feeling or excitement or emotion or grasping or struggling. Yeah. Actually done through the conjunction of the camera moving through that set design. It's almost like the set design itself is given most of the work to do for the... Yeah? And the music, again, I think. Mm.
0: I think the music's doing it. I think actually the, the, the visual... The camera, the camera placement and the shot selection and the other thing is rudimentary. Yes. Um, and, you, and you would like to have felt more kind of... Remember um, in Game of Thrones when Brienne of Tarth fights Sander Clegane, mm-hmm. uh, the Hound? Yes. And and it starts off as like a classic sword fight. You know, like, oh, just ching, ching, ching. And then, before you know it, they're just smacking each other in the face and it's brutal and like one of these people is going to fucking die. Mm. It's incredible, right? It's an amazing scene. Like it, it just descends into this brutality. It starts off as you know, like what you would like, you know, your ideal fight, and it descends into what a fight really is, which mm. is nasty and vicious. Nothing of that feeling held. I like that kind of brutality. Yes. You know, nothing even close.
1: Uh, or, or even more of a desperation to survive. Yeah. With a knowledge of the elements involved in the success or failure of that survival. I mean, I also feel that like him going after that orange thing is like you know
0: oh the, the communicator
1: yeah well you know you think like why is he running after it is, is that what's going to save him like you know because I mean it you does know, save him well I know but <laughs> initially it's not oxygen it's not something to fix it's yeah. the air that he's losing right so you know I kind of
0: I don't know I think the film actually did enough to communicate that because it does start off with when Matt Damon's luring him out there, he says, Do you have a long range communicator? Because you're going to need one. Uh-huh. And then you see one or two close ups of it on the back of his, you know, on the side of his helmet. And it's like, and it's sharply in focus in a shallow focus shot. So you are, so I think you are cued into. Okay, well, maybe that's significant. I mean, what I
1: remember about that scene is are you fully charged up? Yeah. You know, rather than the community, you do, you know, do you have a long range communicator? Yeah. Um, Fair enough. But. So I might be wrong about that, but, you know, I, I just didn't feel that yeah. it was exciting enough or that it was visually exciting enough. Definitely
0: yeah. not visually exciting
1: enough. Um, so.
0: I have one final thing I would like to think about, which is you when we were talking about Batman Begins the other day, you were saying it's a very British Batman. Yes. And I want to think about how British or American this is. Because very early on, this occurred to me as almost sarcastically American. Like, you've got this cornfield. It's like, you know, it's, it's like basically just like, you know, Iowa or whatever. Nice. Where they grow corn or, or, and whatnot. And it's this homestead. And there's a very classic American kind of feel to it. And then there's this thing about how in the future, um, no one believes that um, American landed on the moon. And in the and the revised official textbooks, uh, Cooper's told at his at parent teacher conference. Um, the revised textbooks say it was faked so that the Soviet Union would spend loads of money and bankrupt themselves, and we never actually landed on the moon. And he's deeply offended. You what? You know you think you think we didn't land on the moon? We're explorers. We do this. You know, and they talk about quite a bit. They talk about we're explorers. We do this because we can. Because that's who we are. Um, and there is something. And Cooper is you know Cooper is uh, a former. Like, space test pilot. Mm. Um, and now he's a farmer. And it's like, there's something all-American about him. And he's from Texas. What's more American than Texas? And well, let me tell
1: you where I...
0: That's how he's constructed. The last American, it's like he is.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> it's also done in ignorance. Well, you know? yes, this
0: is kind of where I was sort of... This is, yeah, I mean, carry on. Because this is kind of... It's, so, it's such a caricature.
1: Well, it's not, it's not only a caricature, but there are basic faults. That would be completely unacceptable if he were dealing with a British milieu, right? So here you have a family with John Lithgow, uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet, and uh, Casey Affleck. All speaking in different accents. Yeah. <laughs> one family. It's like you know, if you're making a British film and you cast a family, one has a Liverpool accent, and the other one has a Cockney accent, and another one has a Scottish accent. And yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's really true. I mean, you it would be completely unacceptable. Really, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's really true. I thought about that. So yeah, yeah.
0: Because <laughs> all because because I mean, are you even told the state that they that they live
1: in? Well, just assume just, just it's Texas. Somewhere of, Midwestern. Yeah, exactly. You
0: know, and it's like where where everyone comes from.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it, for all we know, it's Oklahoma or something, right? Um, but, yeah. you know, you assume it's kind of Texas only because of Matthew McConaughey's accent. But then you do realise that every single family member in that family speaks with a different accent.
0: That's a good point. Um, I not thought about that. So And Michael Caine speaks in, in his London accent because he can't do another one. <laughs>
1: <Yes>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so. they don't even bother. like, like Very often when, when you get you know, someone who's so clearly from not the right place in a film, they'll have some line of dialogue that explains, oh, he's from England, but he worked it. None of Nothing. that. It's just, it's, you don't need it. It's Michael Caine. Yeah. Fine.
1: Which is, in a way, that's fair enough. I'm fine with you that. Know, yeah. I'm fine with that as well. But it did strike me because, you know... Um, in fact, Matthew McConaughey is one of the few American stars of this period who's got a very localized accent, yeah? Mm. I mean, he is Texas, you know? Yeah. So, so it's very noticeable that the, all the others aren't, right? Like, and you think at least his children would talk like him, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah? Uh, and in fact, actually, you'd think that he would talk like his father as well. I mean, this is how you learn your languages, isn't it? You know? Yeah, so, I suppose so. Or, well, it, it'd be from where you grew
0: up, but there's nothing about you know are they moved or anything. It's that, it, it's as you say, you you should be assuming really that this is just a family that is where it is. Otherwise, there would be things explaining it, and there isn't. No. They just all speak in the, in different accents for no good reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you know, you it's a given that you don't expect movie stars to do accents, right? So. You know, somebody like Ingrid Bergman or Mar- Marlena Dietrich with her their accents. Like, you could cast them in anything because they're movie stars. Mm. Fair enough. So, you know, you could cast Matthew McConaughey in anything because he's a movie star. But at least you take care that the people around him would speak like him. Right? Yeah. Well, that's the,
0: I mean, that's the downside of casting movie stars in all the other roles.
1: Yeah. Like, they have to speak like themselves, too. Well, but they weren't movie yeah, stars. I mean. you know, well, I mean, not all of them. No.
0: But, no, I mean, yeah. John Lithgow, certainly. I mean, people know him.
1: Yeah, people know him, but John Lithwick was a very good actor, actually, and he, he would could normally accent. do accents, yeah. right? I think it's more just a lack of interest or care, or, I agree. or actually yeah. this presumption that, you know, it just doesn't matter, right? Uh, it's, or,
0: very good, it's very good that they found so many actors who looked like other actors to play, you know, older and younger versions, especially Timothy Chalamet. I mean, Timothy chalamet wasn't, wasn't close to being a star at this point. Um, I think this is quite an early role for him. I think this yes. might even be before Homeland where he wasn't that big either. Um, and, and then he turns into Casey Affleck. Yes. And you go, oh yeah, they do kind of look alike. They make it kind of make sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: in this, you know. Uh, Although
0: Casey Affleck, the, the casting of Casey Affleck and Matt Damon stuck out for me. You know, I noticed them when they showed up. They were them. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, the others are characters. I love them
1: both. Um, and I think they're very good actors. Though again, you know, who has a more distinctive accent and voice you know, than Casey Affleck, right? Yeah. You know, and I think he's got like a Boston accent and, you know... And And there's a kind of scratchy
0: timbre to his voice as well that Chalamet doesn't share.
1: Well, but I was thinking more in relation to Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. You know.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was thinking when when Chalamet turns into into Affleck, you're like, wow, really different voices.
1: Well, true, (laughs) but, you know, maybe the voice cracks. That could be explainable (laughs) in other ways. But to have a different accent. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to make. Or maybe he just
0: wanted to like. He thought he, you know, maybe he wanted to be like Matt Damon,
1: or maybe just the director didn't notice, didn't care, you know. It's possible, it... but unlikely. I think there's hidden backstory. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: um, I just want quickly. Look, Christopher Nolan's filmography, right? I think I've seen all but two. Well, apart of ten is yet to come out, but. I haven't seen Following, and I haven't seen Insomnia. I've seen all the rest.
1: I've seen Insomnia. Uh, I haven't seen Following.
0: No, Following's very early, and apparently it's rubbish. Um, um, but I'm interested to see it. But uh, having seen this again today, I would say it's my least favourite of his films, actually. I think there's lots, lots of bits and bits of interest that I like, but it really doesn't cohere. It's, it's kind of it's, it's dumb, basically, actually.
1: I mean, for me, I would say that... Um, having now seen almost all of his films they're all very ambitious and I think none of them really live up to their ambition even Um, Dunkirk even Dunkirk which I think is the one that I responded to the most though I I, you know I also wonder now was I responding to that fantastic IMAX (laughs) or you know was I responding to the film itself yeah um if so, it
0: comes around again in this strand or whatever that they're doing, bringing all these films back, I definitely want to see it again yeah. because I've only seen it the once at the IMAX, as you said, and I was blown away by it, and really affected by it. Yeah, yeah. We and saw I would it like together. to see how well it's. Uh, no, we didn't. I went. I went to Manchester to see it with Matt. Oh right, um, but and you and went I, down. To, you saw it in London, I think. I saw it in London.
1: Um, I thought I'd seen it with you in London though. No, but um, I would
0: like to see how well I respond to that now. How much I think it stands up, that sort of
1: thing. Yeah, well, let's play by year because I mean, if they all keep being like this. I think there's only so much Nolan I'll be able to stand you know where... yeah
0: well, it wouldn't be interesting in seeing inception again, but that's only because I have seen it 20 times like I don't need to see it again at the cinema, I don't think <laughs> I know how much I like inception <laughs> uh, um, but other ones I would be I mean we are seeing the other Dark Knights yes um, the other if, if you can imagine they might bring the prestige back, but it's not a huge it's not a spectacle film it's a you know, I like the prestige I love it but I, I just don't imagine them bringing it back it's not a get the punters in film yeah but don't uh, think they might
1: yeah anyway we'll see um,
0: yeah because um, that's what the that's what the that's what the purpose of this is is get the people back into the cinema and get them hyped for Tenet I wouldn't mind seeing Inception again
1: okay, well I would see it again because yeah. I love it I mean well, so, if they, <laughs> you know if, they, if they're showing it on IMAX or something we should see well we
0: did see a trailer for it before the film I know yeah so um, it, So yeah it's, it's definitely it's definitely going to be there
1: right alright yeah. so let's do that um, anything else Um no
0: you know, I I um, I'm really glad I saw it a second time. I'm glad I saw it on a nice big screen because it's obviously where it's meant to be seen, and it makes it, you know, it, it means that you can't blame disliking so much of it on watching it on a laptop. Yeah. You know, I saw it properly and came up with an honest opinion.
1: <laughs> yes, I I agree with that. I mean, you know, my view is that it kind of confirms my initial impressions which I thought you know that maybe I had not viewed the film in the best conditions because sometimes you know you are too tired and Mm. you know and so on and a film might be you know it might be too demanding or you're not up for it at the moment or you know but actually you know seeing it again I don't feel that differently than on my initial viewing uh and I do think it's a film that is very overrated Mm. so on that note Uh, you can send hate mail to us (laughs) (laughs) we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on
0: Apple Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud and YouTube Uh, on social media we're on Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies that's where you send the hate mail to Uh, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com
1: thank you very much
0: like share and subscribe (laughs) yes I never (laughs) say that
1: (laughs) yes everyone else does I should Um. (laughs)